TED Audio Collective. This TED Talk features justice activist Philip Atiba Goff, recorded live at TED 2019. This ambitious idea is part of the Audacious Project, TED's initiative to inspire and fund global change. Learn more at audaciousproject.org. Support for TED Talks Daily comes from Odoo. If you feel like you're wasting time and money with your current business software or just want to know what you could be missing, then you need to join the millions of other users who switched to Odoo. Odoo is the affordable all-in-one management software with a library of fully integrated business applications that help you get more done in less time for a fraction of the price. To learn more, visit odoo.com slash TED Talks. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash TED Talks. Odoo, modern management made simple. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at... 3 a.m. The office was shocked. (laughs) That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. (laughs) I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. When people meet me for the first time on my job, they often feel inspired to share a revelation they've had about me. Uh, And it kind of goes something like this. Hey, I know why police chiefs like to share their deep, dark secrets with you. Phil, with your PhD in psychology and your shiny bald head, you're basically the black Dr. Phil, right? (laughs) And for each and every person who's ever said that to me, I do want to say thank you because that was the first time I ever heard that joke. But for everybody else, I really hope you'll believe me when I tell you no police chief likes talking to me because they think I'm a clinical psychologist. And, and, and also, I'm not. I have no idea what your mother did to you, and I can't help. <clears throat> no, police chiefs like talking to me because I'm an expert on a problem that feels impossible for them to solve. Racism in their profession. Now, my expertise comes from being a scientist who studies how our minds learn to associate blackness and crime and misperceive black children as older than they actually are. And it also comes from studying actual police behavior, which is how I know that every year about one in five adults in the United States has contact with law enforcement. Out of those, about a million are targeted for police use of force. And if you're black, you're two to four times more likely to be targeted for that force than if you're white. But it also comes from knowing what those statistics feel like. I've experienced the fear of seeing an officer unclip their gun, and the panic of realizing that someone might mistake my 13-year-old godson as old enough to be a threat. So when a police chief or a pastor or an imam or a mother, when they call me after an officer shoots another unarmed black child, I understand a bit of the pain in their voice. It's the pain of a heart breaking when it fails to solve a deadly problem, breaking from trying to do something that feels simultaneously necessary and impossible. The way trying to fix racism usually feels. Necessary and impossible. So police chiefs like talking to me because I'm an expert, but I doubt they'd be lining up to lie down on Dr. Phil's couch um, if I told them all their problems were hopeless. All of my research and the decade of work I've done with my center, the Center for Policing Equity, actually leads me to a hopeful conclusion 
amidst all the heartbreak of race in America, which is this. Trying to solve racism feels impossible because our definition of racism makes it impossible. But it doesn't have to be that way. So here's what I mean. The most common definition of racism is that racist behaviors are the product of contaminated hearts and minds. And when you listen to the way we talk about trying to cure racism, you'll hear it. We need to stamp out hatred. We need to combat ignorance. Right? It's hearts and minds. Now, the only problem with that definition is that it's completely wrong, both scientifically and otherwise. One of the foundational insights of social psychology is that attitudes are very weak predictors of behaviors. But more importantly than that, no black community has ever taken to the streets to demand that white people would love us more. <laughs> Communities march to stop the killing because racism is about behaviors, not feelings. And even when civil rights leaders like King and Fannie Lou Hamer used the language of love, the racism they fought, that was segregation and brutality. It's actions over feelings. And every one of those leaders would agree, if a definition of racism makes it harder to see the injuries racism causes, that's not just wrong. A definition that cares about the intentions of abusers more than the harms to the abused, that definition of racism is racist. But... When we change the definition of racism from attitudes to behaviors, we transform that problem from impossible to solvable. Because you can measure behaviors. And when you can measure a problem, you can tap into one of the only universal rules of organizational success. You got a problem or a goal, you measure it, you hold yourself accountable to that metric. So if every other organization measures success this way, why can't we do that in policing? It turns out we actually already do. Police departments already practice data-driven accountability. It's just for crime. Like the vast majority of police departments across the United States use a system called ComStat. It's a process that, when you use it right, right it identifies crime data, it tracks it and identifies patterns, and then it allows departments to hold themselves accountable to public safety goals. Right? It usually works either by directing police attentions Right, and police resources, or changing police behavior once they show up. So if I see a string of muggings in that neighborhood, I'm going to want to increase patrols in that neighborhood. If I see a spike in homicides, I'm going to want to talk to the community to find out why and collaborate on changes on police behavior to tamp down the violence. Now, when you define racism in terms of measurable behaviors, you can do the same thing. You can create a ComStat for justice. And that's exactly what the Center for Policing Equity has been doing. So let me tell you how that works. After a police department invites us in, we handle the legal stuff, we engage with the community, our next step is to analyze their data. And the goal of these analyses is to determine how much do crime, poverty, neighborhood demographics predict, let's say, police use of force. Okay? So let's say that those factors predict police will use force on this many black people. There? So our next question is, how many black people actually are targeted for police use of force? Well, let's say it's this many. So what's up with the gap? Well, a big portion of the gap is the difference between what's predicted by things police can't control and what's predicted by things police can control, their policies and their behaviors. And what we're looking for are the types of contact or the areas in the city where that gap is biggest. Because then we can tell our partners, look here. Solve this problem first. It's actually the kind of therapy police chiefs can get behind. 
Because there is nothing so inspiring in the face of our history of racism as a solvable problem. Because look, if the community in Minneapolis asked their police department to remedy the moral failings of race and policing, I'm not sure they know how to do that. But if instead the community says, hey, your data say you're beating up a lot of homeless folks, you want to knock that off? That's something police can learn how to do. And they did. So in 2015, the Minneapolis PD let us know their community was concerned they were using force too often. So we showed them how to leverage their own data to identify situations where force could be avoided. And when you look at those data, you'll see that a disproportionate number of their use of force incidents, they involve somebody who's homeless, in mental distress, has a substance abuse issue, or some combination of all three. More than you expect based on those factors I was just telling you about. So right there's the gap. Next question is why? Well, it turns out homeless folks often need services. Right? And when those services are unavailable, when they can't get their meds, they lose their spot in the shelter, they're more likely to engage in behaviors that end up with folks calling the cops. And when the cops show up, they're more likely to resist intervention, oftentimes because they haven't actually done anything illegal. They're literally just living outside. See, the, the problem wasn't a need to train officers differently in Minneapolis. The problem was the fact that folks were using the cops to treat substance abuse and homelessness in the first place. So the city of Minneapolis found a way to deliver social services and city resources to the homeless community before anybody ever called the cops. Now, the problem isn't always homelessness, right? Sometimes the problem is fear of immigration enforcement, like it was in Salt Lake City, or it is in Houston, where the chiefs had to come forward and say, we're not going to deport you just for calling 911. Or well, the problem is foot pursuits, like it was in Las Vegas, where they had to train their officers to slow down and take a breath instead of allowing the adrenaline in that situation to escalate it. Right? It's, it's searches in Oakland. It's pulling folks out of cars in San Jose. It's the way that they patrol the neighborhoods that make up Zone 3 in Pittsburgh and the black neighborhoods closest to the waterfront in Baltimore. But in each city, if we can give them a solvable problem, they get busy solving it. And together, our partners have seen an average of 25% fewer arrests, fewer use of force incidents, and 13% fewer officer-related injuries. See, essentially, by identifying the biggest gaps and directing police attentions to solving it, we can deliver a data-driven vaccine against racial disparities in policing. Now, right now, we have the capacity to partner with about 40 cities at a time. Well, that means if we want the United States to stop feeling exhausted from trying to solve an impossible problem, we're going to need a lot more infrastructure. <laughs> Because our goal is to have our tools be able to scale the brilliance of dedicated organizers and reform-minded chiefs. So to get there, we're going to need the kind of collective will that desegregated schools and won the franchise for the sons and daughters of former slaves so that we can build a kind of healthcare system capable of delivering our vaccine across the country. Because our audacious idea is to deliver a ComStat for justice to departments serving 100 million people across the United States in the next five years. <laughs> Doing that would mean arming about a third of the United States with tools to reduce racial disparities in police stops, arrests, and use of force, but also tools to reduce 
predatory cash bail and mass incarceration, family instability, and chronic mental health and substance abuse issues, and every other ill that our broken criminal legal systems aggravate. Because every unnecessary arrest we can prevent saves a family from the terrifying journey through each one of those systems. Just like every gun we can leave holstered saves an entire community from a lifetime of grief. Look, each and every one of us, we measure the things that matter to us. Right? Businesses measure profit. Good students keep track of their grades. Families chart the growth of their children with pencil markings and door frames. We all measure the things that matter most to us, which is why we feel the neglect when nobody's bothered to measure anything at all. For the past quarter millennium, we've defined the problems of race and policing in a way that's functionally impossible to measure. But now the science says we can just change that definition. And the folks at the Center for Policing Equity, I actually think we may have measured more police behavior than anyone in human history. And that means that once we have the will and the resources to do it, this could be the generation that stops feeling like racism is an unsolvable problem and instead sees that what's been necessary for far too long is possible. Thank you. For more TED Talks, go to TED.com. 